running boom of the 70s came during simpler pre-internet times. A unique cast of characters riding that wave came of age. You never knew who would show up, and races became household names, attracting capacity fields year in and year out. Co-hosts Ron Galuli, John Gorman, and Grant Whitney, inspired by the first runners reunion in 2019, speak with some of the characters of the era, share their stories, and where they are today. There's something for everyone in each installment of the Runner's Reunion Podcast. Good afternoon, Runner Reunion Podcast listeners. Welcome to our first episode in 2024. This is going to be Season 3, Episode 3. And before we get to the introduction of our next guest, I want to throw the mic to John Gorman with some news. John? Thanks, Grant. Um, yeah, so I've had a pretty rough holiday season. Uh, dear friend of mine, John McDermott, who in high school was a football player, but did a lot of running since then, running, uh, reached the beach locally, finishing the uh, Boston Marathon twice. Um, my closest friend, uh, the night before Thanksgiving, he was out leaf blowing at the end of his driveway and uh, a car hit him. He has a uh, broken C7 spinal cord. He's paralyzed from the waist down, uh, questionable about his uh, upper body. He's currently, this happened the day before Thanksgiving, he's currently at Spalding Rehab. Financially, you know, physically, he has so many challenges. Financially, again, uh, it's just going to be hard for him. So uh, there is a fundraiser done through the Ray Bork uh, Family Foundation. The goal is to raise $500,000, um, but it's going to cost a lot more uh, just uh, down the road. So we're hoping uh, some of our listeners can make a donation. Again, that's the Bork Family Foundation, John McDermott. Um, and also the Bruins Foundation is raising money for John. Uh, they're auctioning off a helmet from uh, Linus Elmark, who is the goaltender for the Bruins. It's a signed helmet. Um, all the former Bruins players from the uh, Lunch Pail gang. So it's all the guys that we knew back then, you know, uh, Rick Middleton, you know, Bob Sweeney, uh, Esposito, guys like that, all the Lunch Pail guys. So that is being raffled off um, and the winner gets that uh, signed helmet. So, but, so you know where my heart has been and uh, it's been rough and I'm going to pass it off to Ron, but before I do, um, you know, just cherish every moment because you never know what's going to happen around the corner. And that's what John's dealing with now. And, you know, being a good friend and a great community person, he, uh, I think the community is going to come around for him. And uh, Yeah, sorry to, sorry to hear that sad news, John. But uh, on another sad note, just recently this past week, uh, brother of Tom Grundy, Tom Grundy, two-time Ocean State Marathon champion, John Grundy, uh, passed away unexpectedly. Typical of John, he was helping somebody out. He was helping Tom clear his driveway from snow. And mm -hmm. uh, we'll make a posting on the Runners Reunion page. Uh, the services are Thursday and Friday for, for John. Longtime member of the running community and uh, a supporter and good friend to all. Let's just take a, a second or two, everyone.
Ron, do you want to update our listeners on on some of the local running news that's transpired since uh, we recorded our last episode? Yeah, sure. Well, I was fortunate enough to be able to attend the first BU indoor meet. The way I like to describe those, it's like the Woodstock of track, you know, without the beer and mud pits. They're, the competition's incredible. Coming up in the near future, we have the New Balance Grand Prix, and uh, I hope everybody has tickets for that. But also the NCAA indoor meet uh, will be at the New Balance track, and that's the first time the indoor meet's been in Boston. And the tickets, you get two days of track. I think they're like 60 bucks or in that area, so it's pretty – uh, a lot of track coming up and a lot of excitement. Well, thank you for that. No, that's that's for sure. And the, the epicenter will be on that avenue in Boston and at BU. There's going to be a lot going back to back on the same weekends prior to the NCAA. So it's really going to be something. With that as foreshadowing, let's move on now to our main event, as it were. If I say to our avid listeners, Johnson & Wales Athletic Club, I'm sure there are a couple of images that uh, that conjures up. And if I add McNulty to the mix, I'm sure that will solidify that thought even further. We are delighted to be joined this afternoon by Pat McNulty. He was there at the beginning, the son of the legendary Colonel. Uh, he was there at the at the inception of the Johnson Wales Athletic Clubs founded by his father and Bobby Doyle in 1977. And he played an instrumental role in it from 77 to about 1987 when he really got a day job. He got a day job with the Attorney General's Office in the Narcotics Unit and for the bulk of his career in law, law enforcement then to now uh, where he serves as Chief of Police uh, in Goulston, Maine. But no introduction of Pat McNulty would be correct and uh, fully comprehensive if we didn't acknowledge the fact that he was a 56-minute 10-miler, ran at least three times under three hours in the high 240s, I guess it was, in the marathon, but he still thinks of himself today as just a surfer. With that as an introduction, Pat McNulty, thanks for joining us on the Runner's Reunion podcast. Well, it's just a pleasure to be here, and it's good to see some old friends, John Gorman and uh, Ron Galuli, Gil Hooley, as we used to call him. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it, you know, this is a great reunion, and uh, we had some great times. We had a powerhouse of a club. I was just an also ran, but I used to keep the boys in line, kind of like keeping uh, kittens in a basket. <laughs> well well let's dive in because that's what people want to hear about so which came first pat was it you and running or johnson and wales which came first well it all kind of came together at the same time in 1970 bobby doyle won the ocean state marathon and my father who had started running again after years and years of uh, not doing it and him being Bobby's coach at one point in time in Bobby's life, uh, they got together and decided that they wanted to form an athletic club. Back in those days, everyone began to form those athletic clubs. You had Boston Track Club and Athletics West, and, you know, everyone wanted a piece of that pie. So they started Johnson Wales Athletic Club, and it was open to, in the very beginning, anyone that would come around 
and then it became kind of like a powerhouse later on. That's how that's how it all started. In 1977, I surprised my father. I I always detested running, and I always thought it was stupid that I'd see him out at six in the morning running ten miles. I didn't even really realize how far that was. I surprised him in 77 by running the Narragansett 10 miler and he was at the finish line and I came crossing the line. And, you know, from there I got the bug. We began to organize a team and years later we've had just about every top runner that ever came through Rhode Island on that team. Well, I, I would say, I mean, a couple of the names, a couple of the luminaries you've already mentioned, Bobby Doyle, number one. We had Holly Walton, who's been a guest on this program. Um, I'm going to be leaning heavily on Gorman and Galuli here because you guys, I should I forget present company. You guys were luminaries of Johnson and Wales AC. You add the Ratcliffs and God knows else. Tell me, give me some names, guys, just to give us a context for those who may not know JWAC. Over the course of, of years, of course, we had John Gorman, Ron Galuli, Bobby and, and Tommy Ratcliffe, Tom Grundy, Holly Walton. Um, we had Mick O'Shea. We had John Tracy for a time. We had Ray Tracy for a time. I think even um, Mike Quinn, at, at one point in time, we had Ray Nelson running with us. We had uh, Jim and, and, of course, Bobby Doyle uh, running. And... Um, so, you know, we, we had we had quite a team and we did everything from short races all the way up to ultra marathons. I ran with the ultra marathon team back in uh, 78. Uh, the 50K championship was in Brattleboro, Vermont. That was, you know, I hadn't even broken three hours yet. And I ended up breaking three hours on the way to that finish. But, um, you know, we won we won the national championship that year and that that was just a a small race compared to some of the great that were run by some of the few other people one and i and i would be remiss if i didn't mention the little known fact and maybe it isn't but ron galuli at one point in time had the course record in the narragansett 10 miler under 50 hats off to you ron yeah, no, that was a fun day. Uh, thanks to Mark Skinkle and Wally Collins for setting a ridiculously fast pace early on. But there was some magic in the legs that day, fortunately, and I broke 50 on a pretty warm day. Well, that's that's all good stuff. So, Pat, from a bird's eye view, and actually I can ask, I'll ask you, and, and you guys also weigh in if it makes sense. What was the attraction? What was, what was in the water, if we want to use that as a, a term of art? that made Johnson and Wales a team, a club, an entity to be a part of? What was it, in your view, Pat? Well, it all started in in 76. And I think we all kind of, you know, those of us that were old enough to remember, you know, you had Frank Shorter and Bill Rogers running the Olympics. And it was like all of a sudden people understood when they saw that race just how fast these guys were going and and just what an accomplish it, accomplishment it was to see Frank Shorter and and um, and uh, Bill Rogers, you know, running under fifty minutes on their way for a marathon, and it was like it was it became a very popular thing to want to try to do. And mm-hmm. Johnson and Wales started uh, right at the very 
beginning of the of the the boom when everyone wanted to run everyone everyone thought that they could run everyone you know uh, wanted to be part of of an organization and Johnson Wales allowed all comers and that was kind of like the key success you know we you were able to train and run races with with the likes of Bobby Doyle and and you know even though Bob Hodge wasn't part of the team he was part of the Johnson Wales Junior College team and you know we'd see each other at these races and it it became such a great time for runners to get together and to be part of something that seemed much bigger than it was maybe hmm. Hmm. John and John and Ron I mean again yeah, yeah. John jump in here so yeah. so um when did did the club really accelerate as far as popularity because I know you know, eventually there were a lot of members, but eventually it kind of became an elite track club too, where you had your A team, you had your B team, you had you know, you had to qualify to be, you know, if you were on the A team, they paid you uh, entry fee, things like that. So when did it start become, you know, what was the transition from 76 to where mm-hmm. I kind of came around in 81? And I think that's that you had, they had the A and the B teams and the qualifications. Yeah, it, it was right around 1980 that we started to do that. And it, it took people like Ray Nelson, who was part of that, to, to organize that because, you know, myself, I couldn't organize anything uh, when it came to that. <laughs> I, I was that I was in the car going to the Boston Marathon, never mind organizing how I was going to get there. But, you know, so you had people like Ray Nelson and, it, and, and we had this this powerhouse of runners and you know, in order to attract some people, we we would help out with with paying entrance fees, and then for some of the elites, actually giving them some travel money. And you know, it was a, a pretty organic thing. It it wasn't that we sat down and decided, all right, this is the way we're going to go. I think as we went organically, it began to do the the proper things, like recognize the elite runners. And and organize even an A and a B team. So um, I, you know you have to you have to thank Ray Nelson for that. God rest his soul. And Jim Doyle, who you know was the president for a period of time. And if we didn't have him as the president, we wouldn't even really had an organization because God knows that myself and the Ratcliffs we couldn't we couldn't handle. <laughs> yeah, I think the one of the other notable things of that time was just the press around running. It was mm-hmm. always in the Providence Journal, always in the local papers. You know, you see uh, the top runners at Johnson & Wales, Doyle, Walton, the Ratcliffe brothers, on and on, O'Shea. And I think that just encouraged others to join the club and just get involved with running. So it's a lot different now with the media. I mean, there's a lot of social media, but the local press doesn't cover running at the way they used to. A hundred percent there. So, so let me ask you this. Was was it one of those situations? Again, I'm an upstate New Yorker, Pat, just by way of clarification. So I'm I'm, you know, totally out of the frame. Would it be okay, Tuesday night, we're meeting blank here. We're meeting here. I mean, was it that level of organization or was tell me a little bit about the the ebb and flow of a week, for example, um, maybe in the build up to the uh, summer road racing season or something like that. What was your sense in your recollection? 
Yeah, well, there there was a certain group of people, the elite runners. They they would go off with themselves and organize, you know, their track workouts, their long runs, and then there was, you know, like the the beats and the also runs, like myself. We'd have somebody like Ray Nelson would organize, you know, like our speed workouts, our fartlek fartlek workouts, and we'd all show up for those things. And then, um, you know, on the weekends we do on uh sunday we do our long runs and so you know it was organized but i got to say that i may have been at the inception but it took people like jim doyle and 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 ray nelson to organize those kinds of things and those that was happening and it was mm-hmm. all cars if you wanted to do track workout if you wanted to uh do speed work you came to narragansett high school on a wednesday and we did repeats. And then, uh, you know, then the next couple of days, we'd be out doing fartlek workout on a 10 mile run. We do that right up until a race and we'd all point to towards a race. And, you know, like I said, that, you know, the, the better runners, you know, there's no amount of what we were doing that would be helpful to them. So they were off on their own doing their own thing. The other that, thing, oh, sorry, John, the other thing, uh, in the winter, they used to rent out Moses Brown, which at the time it was 11 laps, I think, to a mile, but it was a bank track. And uh, at the time, that was about the best track in Rhode Island compared to the Cranston Street Armory. So you're able to run some really good work. I'll say I know that really helped me in my college career. <laughs> Let me ask you a, a foundational question, Pat. And this goes back to your father, the colonel. Um, you know, I've heard I've heard the name the Colonel bandied around in in these three seasons of of, of conversation, um, and you've already mentioned you know surprising him at the end of that ten miler and and never understanding um, you know why he would get up at six in the morning to uh, you know go for a ten miler. I know it does sound kind of insane on on one level. How did the juxtaposition, if you will, of the club versus the work he was doing at the institution, how did this all kind of mesh? How did it all kind of come together? Years ago, when, when I was younger, he was coaching and, you know, people like um, Vinnie Fleming and um, mm, okay, and Holly Walton. You know, he always loved the sport. And, and these guys, you know, were like just superb runners. So we always loved the sport. And so being him being at Johnson Wales college and then university, it was a perfect venue to field that kind of thing again, when athletic clubs became the norm. And we were kind of imitating a lot of what was happening in Europe and England. They have, they had these athletic clubs and in Ireland also. And it just, it, everything happened at the very right time when everyone was becoming so interested in running, you had wonderful publications like runner's world. And, and, um, you know, everyone was, was reading those things and everyone wanted to be like Bill Rogers or, or Frank shorter. And, uh, then when you had somebody like Bobby Doyle and Tom Grundy running so fast in the state marathon, everyone wanted to be, they wanted to emulate those people. So, when did, how did your dad, you had also mentioned that your dad, um, you know, had stopped it for a while and then came back. So 
how did he come to Johnson and Wales? Because the colonel comes with, I'm, I'm assuming it's a military rank of re- reality, a real military rank. So how did how did that all come to be? And and he land at Johnson and Wales. When he was a boy in Baltimore, he was interested in running, and he ran a lot of road races when he was a kid. He oh, was no kid. Like, now this would have been when? I'm sorry to interrupt. But that would have been 1920 and um and early 30s, and he was. Hmm. The boy champion for 10 miles uh, out of Baltimore when he was a kid. You know, he was also a bantamweight boxer. And, you know, the, the, the road running went along with the boxing. And he, you know, found that he was pretty mm-hmm. decent. And um, he ran, you know, a, a couple of marathons. The Baltimore Marathon was at least one of them that I recall him talking to me about. And he actually even competed in some road races when Tarzan Brown was there. So, you know, his career was in the military. As he got older, he, you know, he, he joined the military, went to, um, went to war in World War II. He was a captain. So we were a military family. We traveled all around the world. You know, back then he wasn't running because he was too busy doing his stuff with the military. When we came back to Rhode Island, he retired in Rhode Island because he had done a, a, a stint in the military there and uh, as an advisor for the National Guard. He always wanted to come back, so he retired about 1964, 65. We moved to Rhode Island because that's where he wanted to be. So it was a cool story is where my father and I are driving to Rhode Island. I'm all excited because surfing was just taken off in 1965 and i wanted to be a surfer in the worst kind of way so we were all i was all excited coming to rhode island and we're going through charlestown rhode island and who do we see side of the road tarzan brown and my father stopped the car and went out and started talking to tarzan because he had run in road races against them as a kid and it was it was a thrilling moment for us to to see Tarzan Brown, who had won the Boston Marathon, so that kind of kickstarted my father way back mm. then, and he had that in the back of his head that he he wanted to get back into running, and, and he did later on in the very early seventies. That's fascinating because you know to think about we never think of road racing in the twenties and thirties to your earlier point. And then you do think, I mean, the era of Tarzan Brown and and that challenge of the time. So that is literally the oldest reference, guys. Am I right? That's the that's as far back as we've ever gone on this podcast. I mean, back to Tarzan Brown oh, yeah. days. That's that's it. I mean, that's the that is really something. And road racing back then. That now I will say there's an interesting theme here, Pat. Galuli was a wrestler. And we've also talked to on this podcast, Pete Fitzinger, who was also a high school wrestler. So there's something about these, um, the boxing and the wrestling and the road work that, you know, there's a common theme there, which is kind of interesting, which I've never really thought about before is a lanky, you know, beanpole of a guy back in the day. But that's interesting. That's interesting. One thing that I've always seen is that wrestlers and boxers, when they decide they want to run, their powerhouses because the cardiovascular strength that they gain from the sport of wrestling or from boxing, because any of us who have done any boxing at all, 
three minutes in the round is a really long time when you're getting hit and you're trying to hit somebody else. And it, it's really cardiovascular wise. Once you get accustomed to breathing that heavy, you know, you get, you jump in a road race and, and you do, you do okay. Well, it sounds, are you speaking from experience? I mean, has that been part of your background? And then I'll turn I, it over I, here to John. A fight in my life. Uh, do you want to say that again? I think we had a little distortion. What did, did you've never been in a fight in your life? Is uh, that what you just said? Life. And, and if somebody says I, I have been, uh, then I'll say they're lying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I want to circle back for a second to uh, talking about the organization that Johnson Wales had uh, races and things like that. And one of them was the Boston Marathon. We always had one of the, rented one of those uh, Peter Pan buses the morning of the race. We'd leave from Providence, drive to Hopkinton. I have to tell you, back then, to qualify, it you had to run uh, for male open, male open, two hours fifty minutes. The bus was packed, right? I mean, all these guys were good runners. Everybody's qualified. No charities. Bus was packed. My first year, first year, I I, I went. I got to uh, Hoppington on my own, but I had just joined the club, and I ran. And you know, someone said that there was a the colonel was having a party at one of the hotels after the race. So I had a few friends that were in Boston and uh, I said, hey, the club I just joined, we're having this big post-race party at this hotel. Why don't you guys come along? So uh, we go up there and this beer, you know, the hotel room, this beer and this food. And so I'm saying, hey, telling my friends, yeah, come ahead, you know, go ahead, you know, help yourself. I, I didn't, Pat, at the time I didn't know you and you didn't know me, but, I was my friend uh, Tim Warren told me that I was like being you know goofing around. I said I said uh, yeah, me and the Colonel we got to put some money together to get this you know get this party going. Thought it'd be kind of fun. I guess you were standing right behind me. <laughs> it was like daggers, the steam coming out of your ears, daggers just like looking at me like who the f is this guy? <laughs> and, you probably don't remember it, but I, when I, you know, like when I left the party, I said, you know, Tim was like, did you see that guy looking at you? I said, no, I had no idea. <laughs> but it was, uh, but that was one of the way, one of the things that, you know, the Colonel did, took care of his runners. Uh, you know, the Colonel would also, you know, I remember after the Ocean State Marathon, he'd have these parties locally in Newport, a buffet, beer. You know, he really took care of us. It was uh, mm -hmm. a special, special guy, special club. So, okay. So how does that, feed, Pat, how did that feed in based on your recollection of all of this? Um, well, what our, was it? Why would your dad have done that? Was it, this is for the team? This is for the club? This is for the, the esprit de corps? What's your take on that? It was for all of those things. And um, the parties took on a life of their own. And we were, we had legendary parties whether they were after road races or in other, you know, at other times, uh, the Radcliffe's okay. always had legendary parties at their summer homes. But the whole thing with, with Johnson Wales, like I said, it, it, it was an organic thing. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, it grew ahead of its own and he enjoyed having all those runners around him. And he was so proud of, you know, all the guys like, like Bobby and Tom and, and Ron and, and the Radcliffe's and, 
they brought, even though we partied hard, they brought good advertisement for Johnson ah. because it, you know every time you picked the paper up, it was Johnson Wales Athletic Club, Johnson Wales Athletic Club. There were some serious accomplishments that happened. It one thing that I I really miss. I really miss Ray Nelson because he was the historian. He could rattle off times, dates. There was one point in time when we fielded a team. Uh, for the cross country championships in New England, and we placed third against the big, the Nike team and Athletics West. You know, so all of that stuff was a real positive. You know, it, it, during that period of time, we also had a lot of fun. Mm. And you know, one thing I I, I want to do is I want to circle back mm. to when my father was a boy running these road races. Back in those days, people didn't have a lot of money, and his first race he used bedroom slippers and he put holes in them and, t- and put strings through them and that was that was his his running shoe so you wonder why somebody like tarzan brown he he runs races barefooted well i mean that's how he felt comfortable and you know there was there wasn't a lot of technology so i mean my father didn't have access really in the beginning to the mm-hmm. technology that there was at that time. And, you know, he wanted to run so bad that in his mind, looking at what they were wearing, they were no different than bedroom slippers. So he, he used bedroom slippers. That was back in the 20s. That's something. I mean, that is, that's really hardcore, for lack of a better mm-hmm. phrase. Um, yeah. I mean, the the desire to do that, pounding on the roads, um, that's, that that is really something. Pat, um we understand and in your bio, you, you kind of talk about, you know, around the mid 80s, 86, 87, you, you know, had a new day job. Um, you got heavily invested um, in Rhode Island, the attorney general's office. And and were you already in law enforcement at that point or was that your first uh, foray into law enforcement at, at that, that juncture? Was, that was my first foray into law enforcement. You know, when I got out of college, I, I went you know, I, I kind of my path isn't the normal path. I mean, I I wasn't the greatest student in the world, but I had a talent. I, I had a talent as an artist. And I was able to go to art school uh, and get my uh, degree in fine arts. But when I got finished at the end of the, the four years of college, it was like, all right, what the hell do I do now? So I started building, working in the building industry and uh, the painting industry. And uh, that was my first job. And then um, when the bottom fell out in 1982, I uh, begged my father for a job at Johnson & Wales. He gave me a job. I worked my way up to be director of student life. And then after he left, I took over as dean of students. I was in a prime place to be able to assist my father into having his dream, which would have a powerhouse of an athletic club. It was all the right to- place at the right time and from there i got recruited by the attorney general's office to help them with their anti-drug message and moved into the criminal uh, law enforcement side of it and rest is whatever it is history i guess well you you had talked about and and i'm I'm thinking back to the conversation you, you you mentioned earlier about your dad having a posting at some point in Rhode Island and basically coming back to retire in Rhode Island. 
the significance, if you will, of seeing Tarzan Brown and what that meant to him personally coming back from the day, you're starting to think about surfing. So how do these two mix? You know, you've never been in a fight. We want to document that. There's, you've never been involved <laughs> in any kind of fight at any point in time. Um, although you can talk knowledgeably about boxing and wrestling and what that means as a runner. So I'm not going to go there. But how did the surfing piece kind of fit into this? Because I've actually heard some people saying that they think that's a great way to kind of stay in shape running wise, uh, you know, in, in some ways uh, as well. Well, in 1965, I started surfing. Actually, kind of did okay. I was recruited by the Surfboards Hawaii team, uh, the East Coast team, to surf for them. I got good enough to be able to travel up and down the East Coast surfing and surfing contests. I, my first time in a contest, I, I won the uh, boys division in uh, New England. And then uh, the next year as a junior man, I came in third in the New England championship and surfed all over. I think I was I was uh, Massachusetts champ. I think I was I, I don't think I, I know I was third third place in um, Maine for the championship. So. Surfing has always been my life. When I first retired from Providence Police, I went down to do a security gig in Costa Rica, and I ended up staying there for 10 years, which is, you know, the best place in the world to go surfing. Um, I still surf to this day. I think I kind of got Ron and the Ratcliffs interested in it. They're surfing to this day. That's what I and what I found was it was really hard to surf and run marathons at the same time. And I was really torn. I'd be running along the seawall in Narragansett and it'd be like 10 foot surf. And I'd be training for a marathon going, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, toward the end of my running career, I, I used to say the same thing. And, and Pat did get me into surfing. I remember you let me borrow your boards. And then finally, I bought my own board. But to your point. It's a pretty strenuous sport to to surf at our age. I see a lot of guys our age out there that can't even push themselves up. Mm. For me, it's swimming now, and that translates right over to surfing. And I know, Pat, you lift a lot. Be able to surf at a high level, you got to be in excellent shape. I'm, I'm just going to interject here, Pat, just pardon me here. You would have no reason to know this, but this podcast goes on hiatus every june because <laughs> because ron has made it very clear to gorman and me that mm. it's not going to happen until at least september because there's too many waves to catch and so you know so we don't go year round it's literally and so we, I, guess we, yeah. I, I guess we have you to blame at, at the end of the day i guess that's how it works mm -hmm. yeah well um i've been blamed for a lot of things uh in my life i'm happy to be <laughs> ron going surfing i really am because it's like it's a lot like running in a way. Once you do it, you're addicted to it and you can't stop. I don't to this day, the meager running that I do, I feel like I haven't done something if I haven't gone for a run. Surfing is the same way. When there's waves, you want to go surfing. I'll tell you, when I was in Costa Rica, it, it was hard to surf as much as I was surfing and to also run. But I was I was managing to get a few in every day while I was down there. I owe my running to my father. I always wanted to be like him. After I realized how fast people were running, I, I understood how difficult it really was to run that fast. You you had to work at it and you had to train. I grew to respect the amount of work that he was putting in and how far he was running. When he was older, I wanted to be like him and I wanted to be near him and I wanted to uh, be part of what he was part of. 
That's, that's, that's really, it's very thoughtful and meaningful. And I hope I'm not going too much of a digression. The, um, the Runners Reunion podcast research team uh, sent me a cryptic note at some point in recent days, um, something along the lines of, and it re reflects you or relates to you, Pat, something about crime town. Can, can you elaborate on that? Or is that a misnomer? No, no, it's, you know, I had a, a, a really good friend who wanted to break into podcasting. He um, was a producer, had done some films, wanted to break into podcasting and um, wanted to know if I had any good stories uh, that might be useful for his podcast. And I introduced them to a whole host of people in Rhode Island that were, you know, working in organized crime, fighting organized crime. It, one of the episodes I was in, I was in one of those episodes. We um, we captured Joe Malacone, who was the person responsible for the banking crisis in the mm -hmm. 1990s. Um, and, you know, the, so there's a podcast about that. And at the end of the day, it, that and a dime doesn't get you a phone call anymore. But it was fun to do. It, it, am I is it would it be fair to say that neither Gorman nor Galuli showed up in one of these crime town episodes, as far as you know? <laughs> But I, I really don't know how none of us showed up in Crime Town on the opposite <laughs> because some, you know, some of the parties that we, we would have, it, I just don't know how we survived. I've got to say that back around 15 years ago, I woke up with a hangover and I said, geez, I think I'm going to take a month off from having a drink. And I haven't looked back. I haven't had a drink in over 15 years. And I didn't stop because I had to stop. You know, I look back at some of the stuff we did, and it's just uh, it's amazing to me that we're all alive. You know, there's it. Uh, we had some good times, and I'm yep. happy to talk about them. But what a great camaraderie and lifelong friendship we've formed. It doesn't matter where mm -hmm. we are or how far away we are from each other. Um, or how long it's been since we talked to each other. It was running that was the common denominator. The respect that, that I had for all of those guys will never end. You know, we can pick up where we left off. Mm. Uh, and that was because of running, and that was because of the running boom. And it, it the thank my father for that. But I mm. also think watching Bill Rogers and and Frank Shorter the accomplishments that they had and it made us all interested and it made us all want to achieve it the best we could with what we had for a god-given talent can i i want to ask this question of all three of you um and i you've alluded to it a little bit pat but i i but i want to make sure i heard it correctly we talk we've talked now in three years of this you know of, of this podcast about the connections as much as, as being an incredibly important part of the whole boom era and such would it be how would you guys articulate this is it running to party or party to run well uh, can i answer that yeah so, yeah no no i want I, i'm curious for for all of your because well, okay, in so, the context of the the club and all of that but you know more broadly yeah. too i think it, when especially when you run you're done running you you got you got the endorphins Right, mm. flying through your body, through your brain. You know, you're on a you're on an empty stomach. You start drinking beers, so happy with your accomplishment that day. You you're with your friends, and it's just people don't non-runners just don't understand it. They, you know, they don't know mm. 
<clears throat> what crazy animals we are, what crazy party people we we are or were. So many great re- you know, relationships are built. Um, mm-hmm. My not to brag or whatever, but my my 60th birthday party. I think that I had we had like 60 people there, and like like 90 percent were my running. It's just people you meet, uh, just going from road race to road race, and you know I've got in Rhode Island, Massachusetts. Uh, you know I'm still in the circuit, and I you know I've got kind of young young kids call them young, you know 30, 40, 50 year olders. You know still you know making friends with them is it's it's so rewarding and. You know, it keeps you young. So, Pat, how would you answer that? When I say party, to, to redefine it a little bit, to party, it's the social side. The the party to run or run to party. Which you know, is there is there a preference or a how, how would you how would you square the circle, as it were? Well, I, I I would say that listen, every one of us had to put in an awful lot of work, prepare for the races that we ran. So after that accomplishment you would want to let loose. And so those parties grew out of that, be the celebration of what we all had just accomplished. And each one of us accomplished something in our own right, no matter how fast or slow that we ran. And we could all come together to celebrate what we had accomplished, whether it was at the Boston Marathon or the Narragansett 10 mile road race we'd come together and celebrate those things. And of course, during those celebrations, people would drink some beer and shoot the boot used to be on for the, his beer drinking. Uh, Ron, do you no, have anything gonna, to add? I'm going to shoot the slipper in honor of your father. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, definitely for, for me, it wasn't run to party. It was more the social aspect after afterwards a byproduct of the running all the hard training you do the sacrifices you make throughout the week in the year you know you weren't like the average person who might when i was in college for example be out on thursday and friday nights you know the night to go out might be saturday after the race so mm-hmm. and it was just a different time you know there wasn't social media and the impromptu level of gatherings just made it much more interesting i think hmm. pat let me ask you this and and you know i'll let i'll let i'll allow gorman uh, to respond if he's so inclined and ron too of course if i say or let me frame it this way johnson and wales athletic club what top three attributes or three insights or images come to mind when I just say that Johnson and Wales, AC three things, what immediately would trip off your tongue? What, what is it about the essence? It's about bringing all levels of runners together, achieve their best goal in -hmm. running. And so that's what it was. And that is what it allowed to have happen. And you know, whether you were on the A team or the B team, you belong to a club that you were proud to be associated with because of the of, of people like Bobby Doyle and like Tommy Ratcliffe and Bobby Ratcliffe and Tom Grundy and Ron Galuli. You were able to walk with those guys and you could you could have this you could have joy in their accomplishments and mm-hmm. also it was a, a, a really 
great organization if for a good period of time we would have team meetings and where you'd have people like Jim Doyle and Ray Nelson making sure that kept all the kittens in the basket uh, and we didn't wander too far from keeping the organization together so I a little long-winded here on this and I'm probably I probably haven't answered your question but that's what comes to mind that we had a venue that allowed people to get together and do their best and accomplish the most they could in the sport. And, um, and they, we were all part of it together. And any, th- John, you have some thoughts. Yes, yeah, sir. So, so uh, it doesn't really answer your question, but when you're talking about, uh, you know, Jim Doyle taking care of everybody and, you know, we had an awards ceremony every year, like, uh, and, I still have a picture, Pat, of uh, you giving me. I, I think I had just run two twenty eight that fall, and uh, you giving me uh, a, a plaque, a great, great performance of, of, of great performance of uh, nineteen eighty two, say. And it's great because the picture shows me wearing a velour shirt from the from the eighties, nice, nice, so soft and. I still have it. I wish I could have. I could have found it before this and showed it to you. Yeah, it's uh, shaking my hand, giving me my plaque, and but that's what we did. You know, we were, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Johnson Wells was the big club, elite club that was. Uh, everybody felt like family. They weren't. Nobody looked down. Nobody looked up. Mm-hmm. Everybody. It was a level field. You know, um, all everybody's friends. If you didn't know somebody, you'd introduce yourself. You know, everybody knew everybody. And you now we had those meetings. You know, we'd have beers and food and eagles in check. And it was a really special time. Ron, do you have anything to add on that score? I think I saw that shirt of John's in the Saturday Night Fever Museum. No, uh, but it, it, it really was about the com- camaraderie and mm. the enjoyment of running, competing, uh, making friends to this day most and i do a lot of swim events and it's not quite the same because i didn't grow up swimming and competing like that so i don't have that institutional background in swimming so i've gotten to know some people but it's just not the same level as running yeah well it is a lifelong pursuit for sure and anything else gentlemen uh that we should before we wrap up this installment i mean this is a fascinating a uh, deeper dive into a really quintessential organization, a heartbeat, really, of, of the moment in in the, that running boom. And just some of the photos that I've seen over time, names and uh, faces, rather, that, and then connecting the names, wearing that singlet, that JWAC. And I remember back, again, as an outsider, outside region, still seeing those images, too. So, Pat, to your earlier point about the marketing element of it or the you know, the, 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 you know, getting the name out. I mean, that was, that was real uh, for sure. Yeah. It, uh, it really, um, everyone at the institution was really proud of, of what happened, but I don't know how much time we have here, but I, I do want to tell a kernel story. Uh, Please do. This might be a good way to send us out. So this is great. This is one of many good kernel stories, but, you know, he was he was a real disciplinarian, you know, it, you know, he was he he was the colonel. And when we were kids, we had to toe the line. And, you know, he was so excited about going to the Boston Marathon. We, we would get a suite and 
we'd all stay there. And uh, at one point in time, John Tracy got him VIP tickets at, at the Boston Marathon and Bobby Doyle was running the race. And we were up in the stands and he goes, I don't like these. I don't like these seats. I want to get closer. I want to I want to get closer to the finish line for when Bobby comes in, because I'm going to I'm going to get down and I'm going to help him after he crosses the finish line. So I said, all right, I know where we're going to go. And down around the Prudential, there's a, a nice tall wall. We climbed up on the wall and we're standing on the wall. And I see and my father was all a five foot four. And uh, we're standing up there and he goes, how are we going to get down when Bobby comes? I said, don't worry about it. I'll get you down. Right. Here comes Bobby. He's, he's in seventh place and he's going to finish. My father says, all right, get me down to him. And I jump off the wall and I realize it's about 12 foot. It's about 12 foot. And I go, how am I going to get him down? I said, you got to hang up the wall and I'll catch you. And he let go. I moved out of the way and he hit the cement and he grabbed me by the collar and he goes, you son of a bitch, you dropped your father. And <laughs> <laughs> into the line. And there he is helping Bobby, who's now in a wheelchair going across the, into the into the tunnel. But uh, that was uh, my fondest memories. <laughs> John, that one's got to go on the show running. That's all I can say. That's a that's yeah. a classic. That's that is really something. Well, listeners of the Runners Reunion podcast, we have spent a an enjoyable, uh, almost hour long conversation, a wide ranging conversation on the inception of the uh, the highs of uh, a quintessential organization early in the days of the of the uh, running boom. We're referring to the Johnson & Wales Athletic Club. It's been an absolute delight over this last 50-some-odd minutes to have a conversation with Pat McNulty, very much at the fore of that effort and always connected uh, to the colonel and the role that he all played in putting this Putting a putting a stamp in Rhode Island and in running generally with JWAC. Pat, thank you so much for joining us for the latest installment of the Runners Reunion podcast. It's really been a pleasure having you as our guest. It's been a pleasure to be here, and it was really great to see all of you and hear from all of you again. Yeah, it's great. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Pat.